The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Hi, my name is Amanda Getka. I've been coming to Lifehouse for about three years. I went to a Christian college and, you know, we had to go to chapel every Thursday. It was non-denominational, um, you know, but I don't feel like I really learned about it. My vague understanding of religion was, you know, do good, get good. And, and that was overly simple. Um, and it felt very black and white. You know, I was doing things to, to achieve, you know, what I deemed as success. You know, I was happily married. I have, you know, two healthy children. I do work that I love. That was fine. And, 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 you know, I, I've made a great life for myself. So why was I not happier? Why was I not fulfilled? You're, you're just running to conquer the next thing. And where does it end? When do, you, when do you enjoy it? When do you rest? When do you recharge? I, I want to just challenge you. Have you asked yourself this question? Who's got my back? M- maybe you're like me and you have a little bit of an American mentality, which is uh, an Invictus approach. That's a poem where he says, I am the master of my fate, the captain of my ship. And you're like, I don't need anybody to get my back. I can take care of myself. But what happens when you can't master your fate or you run out of the ability to captain your own ship? And suddenly you start looking around and you start to feel very alone even insignificant and on your own. And maybe you're like me and you start to look up at the world around you, maybe even the stars, and you realize I am really small. I am a speck in the swirling mass and activity all around me. In fact, you wanna get an idea of how small you and I are? The observable universe, which is about 45 uh, billion light years in radius, meaning about 90 billion light years wide. Uh, in, in that observable universe, there's 170 billion galaxies. Many of those galaxies have between a trillion and a hundred trillion stars. We live in the Milky Way, and ours is relatively small. It has about 400 billion stars. So, okay, wait, does that make you start to get a little dizzy? And you're thinking you just stepped into science class. And I thought, well, what about, so if you're feeling insignificant by looking up, what if you just look down? Maybe you start to hang your head because you feel alone and insignificant. No one's got your back. Do you know that when you look down, imagine you were to scoop up just a teaspoon of soil. In that teaspoon of soil, there are about a billion bacteria. And so now I know all of you are thinking, those of you that are a little bit germaphobes, you're like, ugh, man, I knew it, never touched the dirt. And there are like thousands of protozoa. Uh, and in fact, in a fresh water, if you were just to take a teaspoon of fresh water, do you know there are about five billion bacteria in an average scoop of uh, fresh water? Okay, so what are we looking at here? Well, you can't see them, but in these bacteria, they're made of obviously molecules, and molecules are made of atoms. So they've done research and they've said these very simple single cell life forms, simplest life forms on earth are made of about 100 trillion atoms. In essence, if you were to take up a little scoop of soil, you'd be looking at galaxies of life. 
galaxies of matter and, and molecules and atoms. And my point is, when you look up, when you look down, you're reminded no one's got my back. I'm on my own. I'm insignificant. I'm really small in a crazy, chaotic world. And if that's not bad enough, I feel like no one's looking out for me. No one's got my back. No one cares. And so you and I, we do what we typically do. And we start to feel like I'm, I'm all alone. I've got to look out for myself. I got to defend myself. Kind of a survival of the fittest mentality of looking at the world around us. And I think that's a lot like how King David felt after he had taken the throne. He didn't take it. He was given the throne, the reign as king of the nation of Israel. He went from being a shepherd to a famous warrior to now the king. But his son Absalom grew in power and fame and eventually led an army to march against the capital city Jerusalem and against his own father to overthrow him and his kingdom. And so David runs for his life. And that's what I want to jump into this passage in the Bible. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 15. And uh, basically this setting, so David takes power around... Uh, a, 1010 BC, so 1010 BC, he reigns about uh, 40 years as king. So this is somewhere in that time of reigning, right? And so we're going to jump in. He says, a messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all of his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, this is what he says, come, we must flee. We've got to run. We got to get out of here. I'm, I'm really small and I'm about to be crushed like a bug or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. And so here, here is this, you know, here's the situation where David realizes he is really small. And even though he's the king of a nation, he realizes that he is relatively insignificant. Now, if you had to pick anybody in the world around you that would not feel insignificant, you might say, you know, our president or, a, you know, a national leader, or a king of a monarch or somebody who's incredibly wealthy, you know, Fortune 500 CEO. But here is a guy, here's a king of a nation who's going, we got to run for our life. And he realizes I could be, I could easily lose everything. My whole life and my kingdom are going to collapse like a house of cards. And David is surrounded. He's not yet surrounded by armies, although they're coming against him, but he is surrounded by fear. And that fear turns to doubt. He's surrounded by hurt and hate, and he's about to be hunted and I don't know about you, but there are moments when we feel surrounded, surrounded by our own insignificance, surrounded by fear, by doubt. And in, in most moments, it's not just the circumstances around us that are causing us to feel surrounded, by, but it's the stuff going on inside of us, in our emotions, in our thinking, where we become surrounded by our fears, by our doubts, by our worries. And, and what these do is they, they, they corner us. They back us into a corner where we feel like we have no control. We feel powerless and, and it limits our ability to love others and trust others, even to look up and trust God. And yet in this moment where David feels surrounded, that's exactly 
what he does. I want to jump in and keep reading 2 Samuel chapter 16. The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination, so they ran for their lives. They ran into the hills and the mountains. They show up exhausted, and there he, David, refreshed himself. Now, that word, trust me, when he's saying this, it's not like he took some water from a a brook and kind of splashed in his face or ate some food. Very specifically, what the author is saying here is that David was able to get refreshed emotionally. Now, one of the most famous poems ever written, one of the most famous and well-known parts of the Bible, may have been written right here, where David has refreshed himself. It's, it's the psalm called Psalm 23. Some of you have it hanging on a plaque in your house or a picture frame. Some of you have heard it read at a funeral. It's, it's really famous and well-known. While we don't know exactly where David wrote it, we know that he wrote it, and he wrote it as the king in great trouble. Uh, when, when life circumstances were surrounding him, where he felt more like prey than the predator, and he felt hunted rather than the hunter. And so it's very likely that at least a circumstance like this, but maybe even in this moment when he's hiding up in the mountains, running for his life, he would have looked down at the pasture lands where other shepherds were tending their sheep. And David would have remembered a more simple time in his life. A time when he, as a shepherd, cared for the sheep that he was given responsibility for, and he would have looked up to heaven and thought, God, would you care for me with that tenderness? And he wrote something, at at that moment, he wrote something that would get passed down for 3,000 years, that when you read it, It encourages you the same way. And so here's the opening line of Psalm 23, probably the most famous poem and one of the most famous passages in the entire Bible where he wrote this, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Now, maybe you've heard it said or read because forget the Bible has been translated from its original language. This was originally written in Hebrew. And so if you heard it where it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? That would be the King James version and the New International Version. It simply reads this way, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. It means the same thing. What's the principle that we can extract from this in a situation similar to David, when you feel hunted by your fears, you feel surrounded by your thoughts, when you feel like life is swirling out of control and no one's got your back. Certainly David didn't feel like anyone had his back and that's why he had to run for his life. He took the few people that he knew he loved and cared for with him and a few soldiers to protect him, and eventually the army in Jerusalem caught up to him. The principle I want you to take from this simple passage is, and I'm literally going to reword this verse right here. The principle I want you to take, and I want you to carry with you, the next time you feel like no one's got your back is this. When Jesus is my shepherd, I don't need anything else. In fact, I'm hoping that you will write that down. Maybe just use your thumbs, pull out your smartphone, and you just type that in to make a little note to yourself. Or maybe you're on social media and you're going to type that in. You can put that in all caps. But, or you could pull out your study guide or the, um, you know, the program that we got you, and you can use the old archaic uh, writing tool called a pen. And you're going to write this down. When Jesus is my shepherd, 
I don't need anything else. Now, I want you to think about two different pictures. To think about the picture of a, this old Western cowboy on a big cattle drive. And then I want you to think about a shepherd up in the mountains with a, with a um, flock of sheep. Two completely different pictures. And I want you to just kind of imagine those two things going on. And while you're imagining those things, I want you to realize that you and I are surrounded, not just by our circumstances, not by the by, you know, financial crisis or a world in trouble, but by our own thoughts, our own doubts, our own fears, by the troubles that we've created. The truth is what surrounds us most is the stuff going on inside of us, which feels really weird that I am surrounded by something in me, hunting me, haunting me. That's right, because there is an enemy living inside of me, an enemy living inside of you, an enemy called sin. It's a spiritual enemy that lives inside of every one of us. And we don't, whether we like it or not, we were born this way with this corrupting force inside of us that corrupts every part of our life. Like a cancer cell that metastasizes, it spreads and surrounds us. It surrounds our thinking, it surrounds our hopes, it surrounds our dreams, and it begins to tear us down. Sin separates us from relationship with God, and it leaves us distant from God on a path of life toward ruin and forever judgment. This is the really bad news. And, and so if you had to pick one of those two pictures where most of us find ourselves, we are on the cattle drive and we're not the cowboys. All right, now, maybe you feel like a cowboy and you're driving yourself, but most of us feel driven. Something else is driving us. And if you were to contrast these two pictures, the, the cowboy drives the cattle, the shepherd leads the sheep. Cowboys, they brand, they wrestle, they wrangle, they rope the cattle. Shepherds, they lead, they anoint, they care for, and they even carry the sheep that are in need. Why the difference? Well, the difference is the cowboy is leading the cattle to slaughter. The shepherd is leading the sheep to be shorn, and he needs them to stay alive after their wool is harvested, right? He's going for the wool. The cowboy's going for the meat. And for you and I, most of us feel like the world around us and even ourselves, like they just want meat. They want a pound of flesh. No one, very rarely do we feel like I have anything substantive that can, I can offer the world around me. And so when you look at the difference, here's what happens. Sin drives us to our slaughter. And yet David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. So how can he look up at God and say, God loves me like a sheep and he is my shepherd? Well, what I want you to notice is there's this really cool moment. There's this contrast um, and, and so the contrast, though, is very much, you, you actually see the picture between Psalm 22 and Psalm 23. Now, most of you, if you've heard of Psalm 23, you might not have heard of Psalm 22. It's the chapter just before it, and it has the exact opposite 
picture. In fact, if you were to jump into Psalm 22, this is how the opening verse of Psalm 22 reads. Can you guys go ahead and jump ahead? You, you put up a quote I had there, but I want you to jump through this and get to Psalm 22, where, where David writes this. He goes like this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hold up, what? The very next chapter he writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I lack nothing. The chapter before, he goes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer me. By night, but I find no rest. Now check this out. What you don't know, what some of you don't know, maybe, maybe when I started reading, you were like, that sounds familiar. That's right. Jesus hanging on the cross quoted this. David, when he wrote Psalm 22, was looking ahead a thousand years to when God would become one of us, where God would put on the clothing of humanity and he would be the sheep thrown to the wolves. He was willing to embrace our sin, suffering, and take on our eternal judgment. He was willing to throw his body like meat to the wolves to be devoured by sin. He took the bite and the fight on our behalf. So that when he died, he died in our place. And as he was dying, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God would have to forsake sin. And so he put the way of sin and the judgment of sin on himself so that God the Father would reject his son so that you and I would never have to be rejected. He put the eternal wrath of God against sin on Jesus so that we would never have to experience it. So that Jesus died in our place so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of their sin. Shame and guilt removed and Jesus didn't just stay dead. He rose from the dead and in the power of his resurrection, he conquers sin, he conquers death, he defeats eternal judgment so that when you and I believe in Jesus by faith, we can echo the writing of David where he said, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23 verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And so we go from being cattle driven by the cowboy of sin to being sheep adopted by God who is our shepherd. He loves us. In fact, Jesus uses this very metaphor to help us understand his love. And if you jump ahead to the gospel written by John, he's capturing a moment where Jesus is using the shepherd metaphor. And Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says, I've come to give my life so that anyone who believes in me would never die, but would have eternal life. And so suddenly we discover this picture where I used to feel like a, a cattle being driven. Now I'm a shepherd under the, I mean, now I'm a sheep under the caring love of a shepherd. And a line I want you to firmly plant in your thinking, God takes personal responsibility for those who put their trust in him. In fact, I'm going to have you say this with me at all of our campuses right now. I want you just to join me and I want you to say this with me. God takes, God takes personal, responsibility personal responsibility for anyone, for anyone who, puts their trust who puts their trust in him. In him. He becomes our shepherd. 
He begins to care for us. He loves us. He watches over us. He looks out for us. David, imagine David with his, with his army and his close friends and family hiding up in the mountains, being hunted by his son Absalom. And he looks out over the pasture land where a few shepherds are, are grazing their sheep. And he looks out and he goes, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And that's what I want us to take away from this moment. In fact, that, that's what um, we're going to hear a little bit more from the story. Would you check this out? My oldest daughter, Chloe, wanted to come to church. I had not grown up in the church, um, but I was not going to say no. So we brought her to Lifehouse, and she just instantly fell in love with it. So I knew it was going to be part of, our, part of our routine. Through various services, I just started to feel very calm. You don't know what you're missing because you don't have it. So the first time that you sit there and you actually feel the quiet and the calm, and you can't explain it because there's still things to do, and there's still all, everything that needs to be taken care of, being able to just open your hands and say, you're in control, I'm along for the ride. And it was really that, that peace missing. Um, so knowing now that you know, I have reconnected with God, I enjoy those things more. You give so much to your children and you give so much to the, the people you work with and your family and your spouse and your neighbors. Um, but this didn't feel like I was just giving and it became less of something that I just have to do and it's something that I really looked forward to. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life and maybe it seems like nothing's going on in your life, um, but there's always something to be learned. Um, from connecting with God. I don't have a lot of big life experiences, um, but I have a lot of moments where I've learned and I've grown and, and I've experienced that connection with God. And I just appreciate that. I've never been failed by God, um, but I didn't recognize that until coming to church. You know, it, it takes a lot of courage to tell your story and be vulnerable in front of all of you. Uh, I know I do this on a weekly basis. It takes a lot of courage um, for Amanda to get up and share. You know, the line I love was she's like, I felt like I was, uh, now I'm along for the ride. And that really is what it, that's really what it comes down to. When you, when you ask the question, is God my shepherd, is the Lord my shepherd? It's, it, am I asking him to come along for the ride of my life? Or am I along for the ride with God? Is he bringing me along for the ride? Is he writing his story through me? Or am I asking God to become part of my story? And so the key part here is if I think about this Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, then the first part has to be this. Make Jesus my Lord. Now, as David is writing, he's looking ahead a thousand years to when Jesus would come to earth. But his hope was in the promise that the pain that Jesus would suffer would become the promise of new and eternal life where through Jesus, the Lord would become our shepherd. And so the key here is I have to, we want to make Jesus my Lord. So what does that mean? The, the word Lord, we don't use that really anymore unless you read the news and you, you hear about the House of Lords in, in England that they have like a, you know, we have the, the Senate and the House of Representatives. They have, theirs is like the Lords and the Commoners. And, and so, what is, so maybe you think like, you know, Lord, like you have, maybe you have a landlord or um, maybe you've heard of like Lord Byron York or you know, something like that, like some like old archaic definition. That's not what we're talking about here. The idea of Lord is very unique in the way David writes this. He could have just said, um, he is Elohim, and so I'm gonna throw it like, it's a Hebrew word that means God. God is my shepherd. But it would, it would mean um, he's powerful, but impersonal. 
But David writes about relationship, not religion. He could have said, the master God is my shepherd. But that would imply this idea of he's master, I'm servant. But David talks about the Lord being this shepherd who cares for sheep. The idea of Lord is someone who takes personal responsibility for those that he cares for. He is powerful, has great authority like a king, but yet leverages the power to care for his subjects, looks out for their best interests like a shepherd. And so I love the way David writes this, the Lord is my shepherd. He could have said the Lord was my shepherd and referred to it in the past tense. Like God has been there for me in the past, but I'm not confident he's with me now. He could have said the Lord will be my shepherd. And there's this far off hope that someday God will show up. He will save the day. He will fix all the things that are wrong in the world and he will right the wrongs in my life. But he says right now in this moment, when I am in a moment of need, when I'm in a moment of crisis, crisis, David is sitting on some mountain hiding for his life from the threat of Absalom. And he looks out and he says, the Lord is my shepherd right now. In this moment, when I am in trouble, and for you, I would, I would hope that what you begin to say over throughout this week, the Lord is my shepherd. Not just he was my shepherd, but the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, the God who knows me and loves me and cares for me, he is my shepherd. And he watches over me. He knows every challenge, every crisis, every trouble. And he's looking out for me. And and I appreciate that this isn't just the Lord is our shepherd or the Lord is a shepherd or the shepherd. Here's how Jesus describes the fact that he is the good shepherd. We're going to jump back into John chapter 10, where Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I laid down my life for the sheep. And what he's saying here is that he's inviting us to allow him to be my shepherd. I would encourage you to write this down, make a note of this, type this into your smartphone. Allow him to be my shepherd. Let me be really specific. um, David did not write, the Lord is our shepherd, which means we are just one of many in the flock. He doesn't say the Lord is the shepherd, meaning he is supreme and powerful. He's impersonal. And I just kind of like know him by his title. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, not just a shepherd. He's not just a way, not just a God. He is my God, not just a shepherd who watches over some sheep. He is my shepherd who knows me by name and cares for me. In fact, Jesus continues with this metaphor of a shepherd in another place where it's recorded by Matthew. And he says, if a man owns a hundred sheep, And one of them wanders away. And he's telling this to illustrate how God the Father loves us. He says, imagine there was a hundred sheep and one of them wandered away. Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? He continues, and if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that that did not wander off. In the same way, the father in heaven is not willing that any of the little ones, any of these little ones should perish. And so Jesus is expressing the way God loves us tenderly. The way Jesus loves us as a shepherd so that we can say the Lord is 
my shepherd. This, this is a powerful picture. You know, the thing, the reason why he uses the picture of sheep. Now, you might not know a lot about sheep, to be frank with you. I didn't know a lot about sheep. Uh, several years ago, I had a chance to go to a developing country. Uh, we, we, we now work very closely with uh, our partner and network church in Albania. But when I went there, the first time I'd never really been around, like, I mean, I've been to like zoos and farms where we show our kids little lambs and that, but um, actually got a chance to get near sheep and shepherds. And uh, throughout this sermon series, I'm going to share a little more insight into some of my experiences, at least walking near them. One of the things I learned is sheep have a tendency to stray. They, They don't have any sense of direction, and they just literally wander around aimlessly. They... And they don't have any natural sense of fear. Like they don't realize if there's a, a, a viper right near them, like a, a poisonous snake. They're not even aware if there's a wolf or a lion that's about to devour them. And even if they did, they wouldn't do anything. They would just, they would just like run around and crash into each other. Like they're literally helpless, hopeless little creatures. And uh, they're defenseless. Like what I mean is like, they're like little lambs. Like, bah. like they're, they're pathetic little creatures. Um, what I mean is, like, they don't have any claws. They don't have any fangs. They can't even run fast. Trust me, I can outrun them. On a hillside, they're slow. And if they go through water, they get their wool super wet. They get really slow. And so Jesus, it's not surprising that he uses the picture of sheep who have a tendency to stray off course, just wander aimlessly, who have no sense, they don't have ability to defend themselves, kind of hopeless and helpless, and yet go in wrong directions. And he said, I want you to know this, I am your shepherd. So that you can say, the Lord is my shepherd. Now this requires something, like Amanda shared, requires me and you to yield control, to say, I recognize that I am not the Lord of my life. Who's got my back? Somebody else has, got, has to get my back. Somebody else has to look out for me. I cannot look out for myself. I don't get to be the master of my fate, the captain of my ship. And so at this moment, we get to, a, we get to this place where I go, I need the Lord to be my shepherd. I personalize it. He loves me and he looks out for me. He provides for me and he protects me. The Lord watches over my every step. He's looking out beyond me to the things that are hunting me. And he is going to get my back and yet he's going to get out in front of me and he's going to lead me. He is not a cowboy driving me to my slaughter. He is a shepherd leading me into what is best for me even when I don't know what is best for me. Could you imagine? If you and I, in a chaotic world, where we look up at the stars and what's in the observable universe, not you can't see it, but, you can, but it can be observed, 170 billion galaxies, and I'm just a speck. Looking down at the soil, and in one little teaspoon of soil, a billion bacteria, and a little scoop of water, five billion bacteria made of a trillions of atoms. And I, where do I fit into this crazy world? the galaxies that surround me, who am I? And to discover that the God who created the universe would love me and know me 
by name. Jesus said, they, I know them and I call them by name. The, the cowboy, he knows the name of his trail hands. The shepherd knows the name of his sheep. And sin might be driving you like cattle to the slaughter. I assure you that God loves you so much that he became one of us to rescue us from sin. Give his life on our behalf so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith can say, God takes personal responsibility for anyone who puts their trust in him. And so my challenge and your challenge today is simply this. Is the Lord my shepherd? Am I, am I willing to make Jesus my Lord? Not my master, not just my God, but actually giving him full control of my life, every aspect of my life. And by virtue of him being my Lord, am I willing to allow him to become my shepherd, to guide me, to lead me, to take responsibility for me. Maybe there's a situation you're facing right now that seems impossible, it seems out of control. Maybe there's things swirling around you that feel beyond your capacity. And right now, maybe you can do nothing but whisper, Lord, would you be my shepherd? Maybe there, maybe there are circumstances surrounding you. Maybe there's thoughts racing through your mind. And you need to know that there is a God surrounding you who's even surrounding your enemies. You thought that those things were hunting you. And what you now know is God is hunting the things that are hunting you. God is surrounding you even when your thoughts are surrounding you. When you feel betrayed and hurt and broken, when you feel alone and lost, when you feel like the world is out of control, you discover that there's a God who's very much in control, who is saying, I want to be your shepherd. And so I want you to do right now is I want you to take a moment and just simply pause. And that pause moment can be this. It's a, a statement of commitment to say, I am willing to make Jesus my Lord. Or maybe it's a step further for you. You believe in Jesus, but you're ready to say, Jesus, would you be my shepherd? Would you take a moment and just pray? Close your eyes. Would you make that commitment right now? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.